Hi, welcome back to My Brother's Deeper. This is a podcast where two brothers talk about religion, life, secrets of the universe. Um, <laughs> but what makes it important, though, is that one of us lives in England, one of us lives in Chicago, one of us is a pastor, one of us is a writer, and we took two different paths to get to this point. Also, there's another name for this podcast. It's called The Rufus and Percy Show. That's right. Um, if you haven't listened, um, don't worry about it. But if you it's, have, you kind of know. It's like but, one of our first inside jokes. Yeah, it really is. Also, I guess we could start. One of the things I want to start start off with is sort of the things that we have set up. We usually do this at the end, but I thought maybe we could bookend it and talk about like, hey, so we have a, a patron page. I don't even know if you know this. I haven't discussed this with you, but okay. there's like this system. If somebody, nobody's donated money, by the way. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but when they do, you're supposed to sort of give them like a thank you gift. Oh, like some swag? Well, I was thinking more of along the lines of if we had a patron that gave us money, maybe we could do. A, a, something special for them like make them their own like five minute audio clip oh where, cool wherein we give them a secret to the universe wow we unlock the secrets of the universe a key to the secrets universe yeah yeah so if you're listening and you're confused the patron page is something that there, there's a lot of time and effort that goes into making this you don't mm-hmm. think so it looks like we just get on here and um talk mm-hmm. whereas you know that is part of it but there is a lot of research mm-hmm. we always we but we do always joke that we don't do any but we do <laughs> do some there's also like putting together the podcast there's mm-hmm. also like we both do social media there's some time and effort that goes into it and we you know we would like to somehow get compensated for it the patron page is not really about that but it's a it's an effort to sort of make it worthwhile for us. It is worthwhile, but, but yeah, anyway, I think it's a way. Is, it gives us an opportunity to spread the spread the word. It gives us yeah. opportunity to to reach more people, and that's what the patron page can allow us to do. Yeah. Also, so if you believe in what we're doing, or you 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 get any sort of you know uh, benefit from it, then you know it's something that we'd like other people to experience as well. Yeah, and there's also we're looking for advertising. So if yes, we're willing to sell ourselves to the man. Yeah, or yeah, whatever you, whatever you're (laughs) selling, we well, we're not gonna, you know. We do have there's a line. Yeah, there's a line that can be crossed. Yes, we we will not do certain things. But anyway, so that's we can probably come back to that at the end just to remind folks. But we let we left off last time we were talking about sort of like an evolution of thought, let's say, um, about something important in your life or your life's work. Um, and it, I'm a big proponent of things change, right? And the only thing that's certain in life is death, taxes, change, right? Mm. I think change is like the biggest thing in, in life and things, things change, um, we change. We don't. We like to. Th- we like to think that you know. We 
the leopards don't change their spots, but maybe that's true, but that's a leopard. It's not a human. <laughs> right. Or you can't teach a dog new tricks. Right. Which is a dog. Can. Yeah, yeah, you can. Dog, dogs are adaptable. Yeah. So I talked a little bit about how I sort of had like a, an evolution in my thought of, of religion mm-hmm. um, last time about like how, you know, I went through a phase of like being bored by it being intrigued by it, being frustrated by it, and then coming to a point where I had reconciled all of that and found the importance of it for myself. Right. And we talked a little bit about how you sort of had some crossroads as well in your sort of pastoral, I don't know mm-hmm. if that's right, pastoral life. Is pastoral, yeah, that makes different, right? Pastoral uh, is like something no, along the pastor. <laughs> well, no, you could say that. I mean, pastoral, there's no I, but pastoral ministerial life yeah yeah Yeah. what would be one of the first things that you would say was like kind of like a thing that changed you well changed for me you mean like over time you know it's interesting what you were just saying there though too in regards to change being a constant and i think that that kind of is where i want to start because for me like when i really began to find faith and begin to express faith it, it was something that was just incredibly definite for me, something that was very powerful, something that was incredibly convincing. And so for me, it was hard for it was hard for me to imagine that other people wouldn't be captured by it in the same way, Um, because I think one of the fundamental pushbacks that I would get from people is, um, you know, people don't change. Like like you can't say that you've you've you, you've become a different person or that you have some sort of transformation because people basically are the same. They might do some different things here. They might, you know, um, for time uh, have different patterns, but basically people are who they are. And that's that's fundamentally goes against not only my own experience, but what similar to you, I believe about people and about humanity in general is that people can change. In fact, everyone is changing. You know, like there's this great story where I worked at this church one time and um, the pastor of the church was about to celebrate his 25th anniversary. And his wife just happened to be in the office and they were going to be going on this like big trip to Hawaii or something like that. And uh, I was like, you excited for your trip? She's like, yeah, yeah. And I said, you know, just kind of offhandedly like, wow, you know, what's it been like to be married for 25 years? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, well, I've been married to three different men. I was like, wow. what, are you, what are you talking about? She's like, well, the person I was when I married him was one way. And after about 10 years, like I realized he was a different person. Not not altogether bad, but you change, and I was also a different person. And then after another 10 years, kind of a similar thing. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of truth in that statement. Yes. You know, because yeah. when people talk about – and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to get into the merits of, you know – relationships and you know how things fall apart but when you hear people go well you know he's not the person i fell in love with or she's not the person i fell in love with my my response is well yeah of course like if you went into any sort of long-term relationship thinking we're going to be exactly like this in another 20 years then you really weren't prepared to to enter into it so that's a long way of coming back to the fact that I think what I've realized is that over time for me and the way that I express my faith and I try to articulate my faith has really changed because there's a lot more room in my life to go, okay, I get it if people don't understand it. There's patience and there's timing and there's 
there's relationships that I think has to be invested, you know. So, for example, last time, if anybody was listening, we kind of had a, a a brief little, you know, sidetrack um, about uh, kind of what my thoughts were on sexuality and that sort of thing. And so, like I would say very clearly from the way that that a very literal, plain reading of Scripture and not just particular passages that people pull out and go, well, what about this one or what about that one? But the overarching story through Scripture is that there is a view on sexuality, right? And so I'd say that my my view would be very conservative. I do think that you know uh, the intention of humanity um, is is that sexuality is fully expressed in relationships between men and women. I do think that there are only two genders. Like I know that opens up a bunch of doors and that sort of stuff. But I think what's changed for me, Josh, is that I'm much less threatened by people who think opposite of me, and I'm much more understanding as to why they do think opposite of me. And so I think I can engage in conversations uh, with people now in a way that I haven't been able to say, you know, 10, 15 years ago, um, because I think, you know, I've changed. I've grown a little bit older. I understand um, you know, people's life experiences in a way that it didn't before because I've I've experienced some of this stuff with other people. I've seen people go through struggles in sexuality and struggles with in regards to gender and all this sort of stuff. And so I think it's been good for me just from a experience standpoint to, to kind of take that in and uh and realize that listening Engaging in conversation that's not offensive and threatening while still defending or standing up for your point and your convictions can actually – it's possible you know, that you can actually engage people in that way, which is why the whole political you know, environment, particularly in the United States, is so frustrating to me is because we, we've kind of lost that. We've kind of lost that art of being able to uh, disagree civilly. And I think even within the matters, especially within the matters of faith, we should be able to do that as well. I certainly agree that this time that we're living in is way more polarizing. Yeah. You know, each side is more, especially politically. And some of this stuff crisscrosses. And, and the, it does. In the religion and all that. And But I, I do wonder, though, like what happens with the march of time? where things change like Mm -hmm. 20 years ago the gender fluidity thing wasn't something anyone talked about and we had our own we had our own dealings with this 25 years ago with those two guys that moved us we we were kind of exposed to it totally but i wonder like one of the things that i always think about that that might have helped change sort of religious looks at sexuality is the new pope coming out and sort of being more more he had a different view on it you know and catholicism's a huge religion and do you think that was that may have had something to do with it somebody with that stature because the pope is like the president or like the prime minister he's like (laughs) a big big thing you know and like that that guy comes out and says after years of like whatever stance they had and this guy comes out and says something totally different it, it, it seems like hey get with the times yeah i think I, I, i'm sure that's had 
um, some impact for sure. I mean, practically speaking, like if you're an incredibly devout Catholic, what what your um, theology says is that when the Pope speaks in the office of the Pope, so not like when he's speaking with buddies, like having a beer, but when he's speaking in the from the office of the pulp, he's actually speaking for God. Yeah. Like, like that's like that's a big time claim, you know. But that's that you're right. So he's a big deal. Now, I guess for clarification's sake, like I would say, what Pope Francis has done that's been very different is that he's definitely been kind of a wall breaker in regards to how you approach, talk to, talk about, partner with, do ministry alongside people of, in this case, like different sexuality and different persuasions in that regard. However, he's clarified even more so the Catholic Church's view on marriage. So he's not he's not gone the opposite way in that. He's actually doubled down on that. Um, but you mean the, because it's supposed to be between a man and a woman? Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. he's been very clear about that. Right. Which I think because of everything that he had done up until that point, some people thought, oh, he's going to actually go even further. And he didn't. So from my perspective, like I just I respect the fact that he's able to go, listen, here's what I believe. Here's my theology. And and I think anybody who's worth their grain of salt in regards to when they say, here's what I believe, what they're really saying is this is what God has said, and I believe what God has said. If you've got a problem with what it's saying, you really have a problem with the God that I serve more than anything. I'm not trying to be offensive. God's words are the things that are offensive. So he said, like, this is what I think God says, but just because I believe that, and that's God's plan. It's not that I I then have to be mean to people, or I have to deny them the rights, or I have to in some way ridicule them or make them less than human. Because that's that's the other thing, Josh. I think what I've what I've learned over time and what I've what I've realized is that like in order to truly practice your faith, you have to take a holistic approach, which which demands there to be consistency with what you believe. And so if on one hand we're saying, okay, listen, this is how sex is defined. This is how marriage is defined. We also have to take the exact same set of words and go, but there, but, but right at the beginning of the story, God clearly says that all people are created in his image, which means we all have value. We all have dignity. Not one person is more or less important than the other. If that's the case, then regardless of how people are, are living their life, there's still value there. there. There's there's still what I would say, you know, something redemptive about that person. You know, I mean, I literally remember this is connected to what I'm saying, but it's going in a bit of a different direction. I remember the day 9/11 right happened, 2001, and I was literally driving into work. Uh, I worked at this church in Dallas, Texas, and I remember obviously everybody was shocked. We're watching TV, and then shortly afterwards. Um, I don't know if it's the same day or, or a few days afterwards. I remember the whole staff for this church. It was a rather large church. We got together and had like this prayer meeting. And at that point, uh, Osama bin Laden's name, you know, was being connected and thrown around and all this sort of stuff. And I remember one of the guys, Josh, like during what was meant to be a holy moment of prayer, of asking God for help, he said something along the lines of, 
you know, God, if we could just find this terrorist Osama bin Laden and we could just kill him. And I was just sitting there going, hang on. Wait a minute. That's not right. Yeah, he's done something wrong and he does. And there's justice that needs to be doled out for that. But my goodness, like this is a human being and we should be praying for him. We should be we, we should be hoping that something changes in his life. And I think I've learned over, you know, over time, as, as we all do, that a holistic approach, a consistent approach has got to be applied as you start talking about some of these issues here. Talk about the power of prayer, though. That prayer was answered eventually. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah, I don't know if it was because of that guy, but uh, yeah, it definitely was. I mean, <laughs> if you look at history, for sure. One of the things, though, that is interesting to me, though, you talk about how the Bible starts off that everyone's made in God's image. And yeah, there are LGBTQ folks who are Christians. Absolutely. That go to church and and yeah. obviously they're not trying to be cured of anything. They just feel, hey, man, there's a place for me here. And I yeah. know it doesn't say that in the scripture, but. You can't deny me that. So there's that's another sort of weird thing too, right? Yeah, I think again. It's not weird. I don't mean weird, but I'm just saying like weird for you or someone who thinks – because it's, it's not weird to the people who are who believe in you know, no matter what their sexuality is. You know? Right, right. It's just natural. Yeah, there's definitely, um, there's definitely a burden on the church, so in general the church, um, to, to – to articulate and to accept people who have different lifestyles for sure. Now, this is where it gets tricky, though, is because I think what happens is that for whatever reason, we have elevated this issue above other issues so that the issue of of sexuality, the issue of sexual expression in some ways has become a bigger deal than, say, someone who's an alcoholic or someone who beats their wife or whatever the case is like in all of those areas from a christian perspective we would say well, that's not god's plan all right to 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 either express your sexuality in a way different from what god says to abuse your body with alcohol or to abuse another person physically none of that is part of of what the christian god says life should be like so to your point it can be strange because we're not used to that. I mean, I'm reading a book right now, actually, by this guy over here in England, who um, is a is a pastor or, or rector because he's in the Church of England here, um, at a church in in South England, who is a self described same sex attracted pastor, mm. right? So he's like, listen, all my life, uh, or as soon as I hit puberty, I was never attracted to girls. I was always attracted to guys, and he goes, I don't fit any of the norms. Where it's like, you know, people will say, well, that's because you were abused as a child. You know, nope, didn't have any of that. Or people will say, I didn't have a good relationship with my father. Nope, I've got a great relationship with my dad. He's like, none of that fits me. He goes, it's just the way I'm wired. So what's beautiful, though, I think about what he's writing is that he does an incredible job of saying, okay, listen, I'm still going to align myself in, in among the standards that God's word, scripture, the Bible uh, lays out. And he clearly, in, a, in his own reading, he clearly comes to the exact same conclusion that I would come to to say that God has a plan for sexuality. 
And so he says, so my only choice to obey God in that is not to to actively seek out what's naturally coming to me or what I want to do, which the reality is, Josh, that's I think we're, we're all doing that to some degree. Like if we were all to give into our base desires and we just were completely give into, well, I want it, I'm going to get it. The world would be absolutely chaotic. Like we all in some ways exhibit self-control. So what he's saying is my self-control comes from higher power or higher standard, and uh, and so he chooses to live a life of celibacy because he's like I can't express myself sexually in the way that I think God wants us to. And the reality is is regardless regardless of what – I told someone this the other day. In the church, what we should be doing is we shouldn't necessarily be talking so much about – Homosexuality and heterosexuality, and the tra- I think the gender thing is a, is an, it's connected, but in some ways it's a, it's a nuanced and different conversation. But from just you know homosexuality, the issue really is a lust issue. What Scripture clearly talks about over and over and over is is your lust and your desires and whether or not you're giving into them and treating people in a certain way. Whether you're heterosexual or homosexual, it's an issue of lust. So even for the heterosexual male like myself, like I may want to, I may see a beautiful woman and have like thoughts and attractions towards her, but I'm not going to give into them because of my commitments and because of my beliefs and because of my pursuit of holiness. But if I were to use the exact same logic and go, well, it's what comes natural to me. Why can't I? Why can't I just go ahead and do that? That's that's my natural desire, and I should never I should never curb my natural desire. No, that's not true. That's not one practical, two, it's not healthy. And for you know, people who follow faith, it's also not spiritual. I, yeah, I I think that I am well aware of that part of the Bible where talking about curbing your appetites and all that stuff, but I feel like with when you're not hurting someone, like I get it. Like I am a firm believer that it's all chaos. I don't know if I'd say firm believer, but I do think most of the universe is chaotic, and we as human beings, for some reason, have tried to organize it in our minds Mm. so we can stay sane. So, and we've tried to try to control things, which I I think that after a a while, as a human being, you know that you can't really control things. Mm. But I think that. There is something to be said about, like, there is a sect of people who do that. I mean, they're not out murdering and raping people, but, like, mm-hmm. they're out there. They're not hurting people, but they don't – but they do give in to their desires. And I think that can be healthy, you know. But I wonder if that's just – like, because you said it a couple times about, like, making sexuality or making sexuality a bigger deal. I wonder if that's just a cop-out because, like, these people who, you know – we talk about 20 years ago, and they're still struggling with it. There's still people in the closet, and it's a tough world for these people. Sure, yeah. You know? So yeah. I just feel like if, if you're saying For some that, of them. I, I think for some of them. It's not a but tough if you're, for all of them. But if you're saying that, you know, we're making sexuality a big deal, I mean, I think the world makes it a big deal. I think, you know, fear, I, I think fear makes it a big deal. Yeah, in no way am I trying to diminish that it is a big deal or that people struggle with it. What I'm saying is from the church's perspective, I think we have – we we have 
we have focused on sexual sin and and we've elevated that to be like the worst sin ever. So for example, if a in in a in a normal church, say like in America or even over here in England, that is, you know, somewhat of a conservative Bible believing church, if a if a person came out and said, I'm struggling with homosexual thoughts and expressions and relationships. And then you have someone right next to them say, I'm struggling with um, talking about people behind their back, gossiping, and eating way too much food, gluttony. Most churches, quite frankly, and this is not right, but most churches would say, well, the sexual sin is more serious. Or at least if they didn't say it, they would act that way. And so that's what, would, that, that's what uh, I'm saying is I think yeah. it's happened is that we focused on sexuality as a church to almost make it seem like those are the worst – that that's the worst expression of humanity, which I don't think it is. Wait, so you're not supposed to gossip? <laughs> no, you're not. Really? What's that sin? Well, you're, you're, you're talking about people without knowing the, the truth. I mean gossip ultimately is spreading untruth. Is there another name for that sin, or is that what they call it? They don't call it gossip, right? Yeah, that bo- that word's found in scripture. Really? Yeah. All right. Slant, um, slander is in there. Right. I mean, it, so yeah, it's it's. I mean, there's a whole section in 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 this letter to James in the New Testament that talks about how you're supposed to use your mouth and words, and that's definitely a part of it. This is something that 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 I'm very interested in is. A lot of times is the failure of language, and yeah. so we've talked about like the next thing we're going to do is um, is the Tower of Babel, and I've noticed in my life that oftentimes the thing that is in my head that I want to say doesn't always make it out into the words that come out of my mouth. Like sure. my the words are always failing me. You know, I can. It's very hard to describe the thoughts in yeah. your head sometimes. Yeah. And I often feel as though language is a great thing. Yep. I feel like the written word is an amazing thing. One of the maybe one of the maybe the most important thing that we we have done as human beings is the written word. But I also feel like that particularly speaking to each other, communicating with each other, we fail each other all the time. Like it's the hardest thing on this world is this, these sounds that we make that we call words and they have letters, they have meanings that just we haven't mastered it. Well, because I think what we fail to often realize is it's not just the speaking of the words, but it's the receiving of those words as well. Yeah. That in that transmission, so much can happen, yeah. <laughs> you know, like we even around our offices here, like as a staff, we, we, we talk about how we can never communicate enough. You can never, you just can't. I mean, we, there have been times, Josh, where I felt like I have been absolutely crystal clear, repetitively, vocally and in written word. And yet somebody will come and go, I didn't know about that. Or I didn't hear that. Or that's not what was explained. It's like, yes, it was like, what, what can, what else can I say? What else can I do? Um, and I've just gotten to the point where it's like you just have to continue at it. Just keep going. You got to just keep trying to clarify, clarify, clarify because I think words are incredibly precious and incredibly important. But 
context, emotion, like all that plays a part in it, you know? And I think you're right that the written word in many ways is just one of the one of the best things that we we have. Because really when you write something down, like there it is. But even the written word has limitations. Because yeah. you because we, we assume so much when we use words and the meanings that we assign to those words that without proper context, we don't have full understanding. And it takes time to unearth context in what you're reading and what you're saying to someone in a relationship. It's it's just it's tough. Yeah, it goes it covers all aspects of your life. It does. Work. It absolutely like I've does. Had, you know, you have jobs where no one communicates and nothing's you have no idea what's going on and the, yeah. the place that you're working at is worse because of that. And also and like the key thing with successful relationships with people mm-hmm. is um is communication and saying the things that you want or saying the things that are difficult. I think the yes. those, I think the more often than not where we fail is saying the difficult things. Oh, there, there's no question. Like I, I think I heard this from someone one time is that when you're going into a difficult conversation with someone, usually what happens is you communicate 90% of what you need to say, but it's that last 10%, which is the most difficult percent, uh, difficult part that you leave out. Or you just yeah. chicken or you chicken out or whatever reason it is. It's like because you know at the end of the day, like this is the main thing. Like this is what I've actually got to say. Yeah. And and oftentimes we just don't. Yeah, I've definitely felt that way in my life where I didn't say the thing that I needed to say. Or, you know, like sometimes it's hard for we've talked about this before, especially with men. And we, I think women are better communicators. Uh, men aren't really known for that. Uh, yeah, I think in general. Yeah. In general. Yeah, yeah it's probably half, half the time why men and women in relationships fail, you know. Oh, there's no question. Yeah. You know, like yeah. the guy, the guy's always known for bottling up things and not talking about stuff. And I think it's one of the great arguments, again, not to like try to always pull back to this, but I think that's one of the just really easy observational arguments for the fact that you can't say there's no such thing as gender. There clearly are differences in gender, and that's generally one of them is that the way men process information and communicate information is very different than women. Now, there's always exceptions and there's always, you know, uh, things that that you can point to. But you're right. I mean, I look at it even with my own my own wife. You know, it's like we're, we're constantly I mean, we're 21 years into this, you know, marriage and. 22, 20, sorry, 22 years into this marriage, and communication still is an issue with us. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's just, you, you're you have to continually be willing to work on it. Yeah, you definitely do. And like even in even in aspects of sort of systems that we've created, nobody communicates well. Have you ever been to the DMV? Oh man, yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's For, just so many. For our English listeners, that uh, is the Department of Motor Vehicles, where you would go get your license and settle tickets and all sorts of stuff, like the DVLA here in England. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The communication is obscure. Yeah. Even if when it is communicated to you, whatever it, information is given it to you is obscured by something, or it's almost like it's almost like everything's unfinished, you know, because. Well, 
or somebody has talked to somebody who this is their responsibility and and you need to talk to them and there's no ownership of like what is the problem and what is the solution yeah. you know yeah we've dealt but with I that think that's, here i think with, that's uh, just but i think time. that's just a reflection of how we communicate as human beings it, it is yeah. yeah absolutely absolutely i mean most of us are not willing to work at it because it just requires an amazing amount of work yeah but i do think though that's also where like that that's where the depth of relationship comes is that the more you're willing to work at it the more you're willing to overcome your differences and and realize oh when i say this word it evokes these images and these experiences and memories and there's no way in the world i would have ever known it was that loaded you once you begin to figure out those things in relationships to people that's actually where i think intimacy and vulnerability and community begins to happen. I think that's what we're talking about here though, as far as like change. I think mm-hmm. that's how change works as well. Yeah. It's through communication and also there's gotta be an openness, I guess, too, to hear things. Like you were talking about the you know, in your office and when you don't hear something it's because you're not opening yourself up to it, you know? That's right. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Yeah, I think I think putting yourself in the place the person who is speaking to you is is what I found is helpful in my listening because it's like they can be saying something and on the surface the words themselves are things that I disagree with, but if I'm trying to put myself in their position of going, okay, why are they saying these words? Where are they coming from? That got them to the point to express this. It at least helps me understand where they're coming from. I still may not agree with them. But I can go, OK, listen, I, I see where you're coming from and why that's bothering you and, you know, why this has happened and so on and so forth. And that's I think that's part of communicating is is acknowledging what people are saying and clarifying it back to them so that you can then move on to whatever the next stage of communication is. Is there something recently that's happened um, in your career that's been another sort of like catalyst of change? I mean, moving to England was probably a big one, right? <laughs> yeah, I would say for sure. Yeah, because here, I mean, you know, from a communication standpoint, like though we we both speak English, like British English and American English is very different. And not only that, like within the northeast of England where we live, um, it's very different to the rest of England. And so, you know, there have been plenty of times where uh, I've been having conversations with people and it's like I have no idea what they're talking about, no, no idea what they've said. I don't have any sort of context for that word. And so your your comment about being open, like that's just the that's just the position we've had to take is just to go, OK, we're we're embracing our ignorance. Right. We're just embracing and we're just going to ask lots of questions and we're going to laugh at ourselves and allow other people to laugh at us as well. And um, and, you know, there's like there's a whole list of words and concepts and and pronunciations that like, you know, we just still can't get. And every time we say them, like people think we're, you know, we don't even sound American. We sound Indian (laughs) because I'm trying to say an English word. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely been a catalyst from a communication standpoint is that when I got here, like I, I had to really make a conscious decision to go, okay, I need to do a lot more listening than talking. I need to listen to what they're saying and not just for the on surface aspect of, you know, what they're saying, but what's underneath it as well. Um, So it's been really good for me. It's been good to kind of always be in that position in a sense that whatever conversation you're going into, um, 
in a way, you know, you're, 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 you're kind of on your heels a little bit, uh, not defensive, but you're at a deficit and, and, and you've got to, you got to listen really, really closely. Did you, did you feel that way before in Cincinnati? Did, was there something that, that, cause you had started your own church at mm-hmm. some point. Yeah. And was it what was there like a failure of communication there within that? Yeah, I would say so for sure. And, you know, I think as as hard as we tried and as we would look back on things and we would say, you know, I don't know what we could have or would have done differently. Obviously, there there was lots of things we could point to to say that was a failure. You know, we went through uh, lots of changes in leadership. You know, we started meeting as a church with you know four couples and eventually all of them except for Candace and I left the church um and so you know you start out thinking and wanting to do one thing and having dreams about what this is going to look like and then it's somewhere down the point down the line the point reaches where they go no that's that's not what what we thought it would be and you thought well how did we miss that what where did we miscommunicate on that you know kind of a thing um and so there's a lot of times where I, f- I feel like I just kind of threw my hands up in the air and was like, I don't, I don't know what else I can do. So I think that's, and I'm still learning this, obviously, but I think I'm just very humbled when it comes to communication in general. I just, I just approach it. I try, I should say that. I try to approach it humbly to, and not assume that everyone is going to not only understand what I say. But probably more importantly, remember what I'm going to say. I, I think I've been blessed and cursed with a fairly decent memory. And so I can remember conversations and I can remember where people were in the room when they said things and what was being done. And I've often gone back to, well, hang on. No, you said this and you said it then. And the person's like, no, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. That, that, that's not what I meant. Well, that's that. You know, I've got crystal clear memory of it. It's just very humbling. It's just it kind of, yeah, it just humbles you, quite frankly. Your job is all about communicating. It really, a lot of word. it is. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, you're choosing. You're choosing. Yeah, word choice is 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 incredibly incredibly important in my line of work. And like I just wrote a a little. I don't even know what it's called. It's I wouldn't even call it an article, but we do this email that we send out to our church every Friday, and I usually write like a little a little thing at the beginning of it. And uh, the theme of this week's was words matter, and just talking about how we've gone through this process here where we uh, have have kind of changed the name of our church, and just talking about why that's important, and and the whole kind of concept was, you know. Words matter, and the words that we use, even in a name, communicate something. So we want to choose to communicate this. So yeah, a lot of what I do is is based around the ability to communicate um, and to cast vision, to move people in a direction, to affirm, support, encourage, counsel. I mean, in some ways, words are my life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely right in writing it becomes very important to choose the right words. I often struggle with that. Not as far as just like writer's block, but just choosing looking trying to find the right mm-hmm. word 
some people would say, you know, don't worry about that. Like if you're just writing, just kind of go, mm-hmm. go with it, and then you can go back and change it. And for me, that's very hard because I want to get it right the first time. But mm-hmm. that's not that's not what writing is. Mm-hmm. But to for me, that's that's sort of the joy of it. It's like sometimes a sentence will take you 30 minutes to write. You know, yeah. sometimes you can write a page in 30 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, to me, that's the process. Maybe it's different than everybody else's, but I think that that in choosing to communicate that way, like if you're writing a story, you, there's something in there that you want to get out. And the words are the only thing that do that, obviously. <laughs> And and I think that's the beauty of it is everyone does have their own process, you know, for it as well. But I'm I, I agree. I, I think I I'm the same way. Like responding to an email is not a quick thing for me. Yeah. No, <laughs> you know, it takes not. me it takes me quite a while. And part of it is because I do come back and I I reread it and I I try to again put myself in the in the in the person's place to go, how are they gonna hear this? And is that is that clear enough in regards to where I'm leading them? And and too, like I found too, just part of my process, Josh, is that like I can work on something, work on something, and I pretty much know when I'm hitting a wall that it's it's really advantageous for me to walk away, to engage in something completely different. And what I've realized, and I've even read quite a bit on this, is that even like biologically speaking, or from a from a brain standpoint, like even though you may not be thinking about a particular thing. Your brain's still working on what you've worked on before. Like your subconscious is continuing to process information. So, like I had read a book a couple summers ago when we were on sabbatical, where um, I can't remember the author of it, but a, a famous you know author talked about getting to a point where he was stuck, and then he would go on a long walk, and it was in that long walk when he would come back that he'd kind of feel refreshed and something was was unleashed, you know. And I thought, oh, that's really, really good. And then the same guy said that what he does in order to jumpstart the process the next day is that if he knows exactly kind of where he wants to go with the story, he'll kind of write 90% of it and then stop so that the next day he can go ahead and do that 10% as a way to kind of jumpstart his brain yeah. in regards to the story. So it's like, oh, that's – that's a really cool approach, you know. So I think you have to find whatever it is you have to find in order to get the right thing on the piece of paper, you know. Yeah, some people will stop in mid sentence, hmm. so they know the sentence that they're gonna complete, but they'll stop in the middle of it, and then the next day they pick up right there, and that somehow like greases the wheels. Similar, yeah. But I wonder. So the next thing that we're going to talk about, not in this episode, but the next episode is the Tower of Babel, which which is great uh, in regards to communication. Yeah, because that's that's. Uh, do you think that the that there were people taking walks trying to figure that out? Probably not. Right? <laughs> well, I think <laughs> I think what I think what we'll find is that we'll realize both the value and the danger of language in that story. Um, because if you have too much uniformity, it can be dangerous, which means if you don't have enough diversity, you're missing out on something. And I think that's part of where the story ultimately leads towards. But also there were, that was a problem, right? There are all these different languages. No one can understand each other. Is that um, part of it? 
It's a, it's both and. I mean, the problem actually stems from the fact that there was one language. That's where the problem starts, and and God's solution was to disperse them, and to confuse or to create Babel. That's where the the word Babel comes from. Right. Um, and there's I think there's very clear reasons why he did that. So what you find is you kind of have this idea of like, okay, there's strength in unity, but there's also there's also dangerous in uniformity. And there's there's quite a bit of value in diversity, which I think what we're talking about right now is, you know, this struggle of trying to make sense of the diversity, because I can say to you, man, you know, that uh, that meal that I just had was really, really sweet. And depending on the context, you might think I'm thinking um, I'm saying that the meal was awesome or you might be thinking that the meal was actually very sugary. Right. Right. So so it's like that diversity of language, while on one sense can be incredibly rich, is also very, very challenging as well. Um, but I think what the Tower of Babel does is it, it gives God's perspective on that um, and maybe the reason why he chose to do that. So that's what we'll get into next time. I have my own things that I'm going to add to this Tower of Babel, and a lot of it has to do with a sort of neo uh, like a neo punk science fiction novel called S- snow crash okay um i won't give anything away now but the it the tower of babel plays in very heavily mm. into this world it's cool and uh we'll get into that though next next time so i think we i think we we've come to the end of the of I don't know if we actually sort of like this was a different different sort of format that we did for ourselves than we did for our parents because a lot of our parents stuff was based on sort of memory yeah and this one really wasn't didn't take that turn it kind of it was something different yeah it's more kind of perspectives which I think you know again is a little bit close to the heart of you know why we started this like yeah it, we talked about the idea of like as we've gone through all the memory stuff it's been kind of cathartic but really i think the heart is like we know we we started from the same place but we've ended up in two different places and yet despite that there's still a lot of overlap and a lot of similarity but different perspectives on you know the way we see the world and so i think that's kind of what this podcast has started to be a little bit is like okay here's kind of where i'm coming from here's where you're coming from let's interact let's push each other let's challenge each other to say well what about how would you answer this like to me i think that's where like a lot of the value can come and a lot of the benefit can come from um from that for not only ourselves but for our listeners as well yeah that's a that's exactly what i had planned you're a genius yeah uh yeah i think that word's probably overused but (laughs) but anyway so if we you know we said we're going to book in this thing with what we talked about at the beginning of just like the patron page and advertising and just the whole social media aspect of this people listening to this and just sharing it and Mm -hmm. um helping us grow things and just to reiterate if you do donate money, you will get a secret to the universe. 
I'm really, really excited about that because I don't even know what that is yet. But I mean, it puts a lot of pressure on us. It really, it it, it does. Uh, it's causing a little bit of stress and anxiety, but I trust the process. I trust. But it. I think it will be sort of. It will be who like depending on who the person is. You know what I mean? So it's kind of a tailored made key. To yeah. Universe. So like, if you were to donate money, we'd get we'd know who your name. We'd know your name. Right. Um, if you want to like tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, and then we could tailor it for you. I like that. Yeah. Well, are we taking? Would we be open to even taking requests, or is that like no, you get what you get? I think that would be a good a good thing too. You know, like if someone had something they wanted us to talk about, yeah, we'd definitely do that. Okay. You know, yeah, uh, an idea. So yeah, I, I think that what we want to do is say thank you for yes. you know listening to us and like you, if you did have some spare change, we'd appreciate that too, you know. Right. Yes, definitely. But you know, if there's any advertisers out there, you know, we have the whole thing set up mm-hmm. on Podbean, so all we have to do is just plug it in. Sounds great. So and we you know we were we're over 500 downloads. Nice. Doesn't seem like a lot, but if, it is. You know, it is when you start at zero. It's halfway. It's halfway to a thousand. <laughs> exactly. Which is which is a milestone on Podbean. Like it's once you hit a thousand downloads, they're like, "Hey, way to go!" Is that what so, they do? Is an official pat on the back? Yeah, there are different levels. Like you get to a thousand, two thousand, three thousand. They're like, yeah, they're milestones that Podbean recognize. So, you know, we're halfway there. Okay. To a milestone. Listen, everybody was there. Everybody was here at one point who's ever yeah. done a successful podcast. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I think that is my book of sale. It's a good pitch. It's a great yeah. pitch. Yes. Yeah. We're open. And uh, and really, again, it comes down to just wanting to try to reach as many people as we can and, uh, and create a bit of a little online community, you know? Yeah, that's a – I think that we have the startings of that. Mm-hmm. So we just want more people because, you know, you could probably get something out of this. Sweet. I think, the, you know, the feedback that I've gotten is like from, you know, they're probably friends. But, <laughs> but the, I mean, I think it's genuine. Like yeah. there's a, a few of my friends that have reached out to me, male, male friends that have been like, I'm really getting a lot out of this. This is really cool. That's awesome. Yeah, and I'm sure you've gotten the same feedback. Definitely, definitely, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think, again, like as we we start talking about other things and kind of giving our perspectives and pushing each other a little bit, I think think that's – I think hopefully we can create a safe sort of environment, a space where, you know, people maybe are encouraged to do that with – with their friends and loved ones as well and recognize again, as I said earlier, like you can, you can come at things from different perspectives, um, but still, you know, experience love and, you know, agreement and and friendship and that sort of thing as well. Yeah. So we'll end this episode here. We appreciate you listening. If you are listening and we bid you adieu. See you later. Bye.